The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And a pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this Monday evening. It is Labor Day, September the 5th. It's hard to believe, but... Boy, when you go back and you take a look at how fast this season has gone, it seems like just a few days ago it was Memorial Day weekend and the Indians were in second or third place. But nonetheless, right now they are in first place in the American League Central Division and the Cincinnati Reds are mired in last place after they were beaten today by a score of 5 to nothing by the New York Net, New York Mets, I should say. Glad to have you along tonight on this holiday edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Mark Donahue, as of right now, unable to join us. He will be calling in, hopefully, here in just a little bit on this holiday weekend. So I'll be flying solo tonight, talking to you about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. And it should be a fairly entertaining show tonight, as I'm doing it all by myself, but... We will be talking about what the Reds did this afternoon. The Indians, as a matter of fact, they are the only team in baseball that is playing tonight, other than the Houston Astros, of course, who they are playing this evening at Progressive Field. But what a weekend it was for the Red, the Indians, I should say. The Indians right now are down to the Houston Astros, 3-1, to and Mike Fires in the fifth inning of their ball game. Fires, boy, he has had... A tough time for the Astros tonight. He has thrown 82 pitches so far in the five innings. The Indians have had plenty of opportunities to break through against Fires during this ball game, and they've only been able to do it with a two-out double into left center field by Mr. Clutch, Jose Ramirez. He did it yesterday when the Indians were down by Two runs going into the bottom of the ninth inning against the Miami Marlins, and they had an opportunity to go up against the Marlins' closer, Fernando Rodney. Well, Rodney, who is apt to do this after every once in a while, he will lose control. He's only got two pitches. He's got a fastball and a changeup. And yesterday, he couldn't get either one of those pitches across the plate. I believe he threw about 30 pitches in yesterday's ninth inning, and of those 30 pitches, 17 of them were balls, while only 13 of them were strikes. Jose Ramirez got the base hit to tie things up, and then Lonnie Chisenhall followed up with a base hit to right field, and the Indians ended up winning the ball game by a final score of 6-5 to five yesterday afternoon. That completed the three-game sweep that the Indians performed against the Miami Marlins yesterday. So heading into tonight's action, the Indians right now are 79-56. and 56. That is the most games that they have been over 500, 23, 
since the 2007 season when they finished the year 96 and 66. So 30 games over 500 is what they finished that year. But they were 6 and 0 this week, which represents the second week this year that they have gone unbeaten. And after the action earlier this afternoon in which Detroit won 5 to 2 over the Chicago White Sox in 11 innings, and the Royals won over the Twins by a final of 11-5. to That means that the Indians right now are in first place, first of all, over the Detroit Tigers by five games. That includes the Tigers' win this afternoon. And they are nine games up on Kansas City. Now, Kansas City, for really all intents and purposes... They are out of the division. I mean, they they put on a pretty good run against the Indians a couple of weeks ago to pull within six games, but now they've fallen back by nine. The Indians in their last ten games have won seven of them, and they've won six straight going into that game tonight against Houston. But what's interesting tonight is that the Indians as Mike Napoli just hit a solo home run to pull the Indians to within one run. That's his 30th home run of the year and his 90th RBI. What a pickup he's been for the Indians this season. Napoli, who was a free agent, played with Texas last year, of course, gained notoriety by playing with the Red Sox during their world championship season of 2013 under their their manager, John Farrell, and he just hit a solo home run off of the foul pole in left field, and the Indians now are down in the fifth inning against Mike Fires and the Houston Astros, 3-2. to two. The Indians tonight are basically going in with Bobby Bullpen. They started Mike Clevenger. He ended up going an inning and a third. Then they brought in uh, Jeff Manchip. He pitched through the second inning, they uh, brought in Percy Garvin. Now, Percy Garvin is from the Dover area, and he came up about a week ago, pitched one inning in a ball game against the uh, Marlins, and ended up imploding, but he came back tonight, and he did a good job pitching a couple innings for the Indians, so they're basically trying to piecemeal this together, because... Josh Tomlin has really been a train wreck throughout his last month of starts. Tomlin's had a tough time. But you've got to remember this about Josh Tomlin. On the season, Tomlin has pitched over 160 innings. That is the most innings he has pitched in five years. He has not pitched that many innings in five years. As a matter of fact, in the previous four years of pitching for Josh Tomlin mainly because of his arm surgery two years ago. He had only pitched in a combined total of 260 innings over the previous four years. So Josh Tomlin may be hitting the wall, but he has been an integral part of this starting rotation for the Cleveland Indians as a number five man. Remember, he made the rotation as the fourth man when Trevor Bauer came out of spring training this year and was relegated to the bullpen. So they put Josh Tomlin in the rotation over Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer worked through his problems in the bullpen and now has come back 
and has become a very important piece to this bullpen, to this starting rotation for the Indians. Now, if they make the playoffs, which right now it looks like they will, of course, Corey Kluber, who was the pitcher of the month in the month of August, and what a month of August Corey Kluber had. We'll go over that here in just a second. But Kluber will be the, the starting, he'll be the ace for the staff. He'll, he'll start off each series. Carlos Carrasco will be the number two pitcher. And Danny Salazar will be the number three pitcher. That means Trevor Bauer, if they're in a seven-game series, will be the fourth man. They won't need a fifth man. So they will put Tomlin in the bullpen. And hopefully he'll get his act together where he'll be able to either be a long man out of the bullpen or come in and put together an inning or two at a time. By the way, Mike Napoli with his 30 home runs this year, that ties a career high that he performed with the Texas Rangers back in 2011. But let's go back to Corey Kluber, who was the pitcher of the month in August. In August, Kluber was 5-0 and with a 2.43 ERA in six August starts. He tallied 44 strikeouts on 40 and two-thirds innings. He limited the opposition to 33 hits on 13 walks. He allowed three runs or fewer in each outing. He was totally dominant in the month of August. But he hasn't suffered a loss since July 3rd. He's expected to go to the mound tomorrow for the Indians, tomorrow night against the Astros. Now, he was supposed to go up against Dallas Keuchel, but Keuchel now is out for the Astros for at least the next two starts because he has got a sore shoulder. So the Astros are not going to take a chance with their ace, and it is undetermined right now who the Astros are going to throw against the Cleveland Indians in tomorrow night's game against Kluber. But since that July 3rd loss, in 10 starts since then, Kluber has posted a 7-0 and record. He's got a 1.94 ERA. And during that stretch, he has held the opposition to 54 hits and 19 walks in 69 and two-thirds innings. He's totaled six or more innings in each start, and the Indians have emerged victorious in 14 of Kluber's last 19 starts. Now, three years ago, Kluber won the Cy Young. He beat out Felix Hernandez in one of the most, one of the closest votes ever for the Cy Young Award. If you would have taken a vote as to who the Cy Young Award winner was going to be this year, At the All-Star break, hands down it would have been Chris Sale of the Chicago White Sox. But Chris Sale, when he imploded after the All-Star break over the fact that he had to wear the softball uniforms on throwback day for the Chicago White Sox, he just hasn't been the same since. So really the Cy Young Award race right now in the month of September is going down between two pitchers. That is Cole Hamels of the Texas Rangers, who's 14-5, and and Kluber, who has won 15 games so far this year. Now, in all honesty, I cannot remember ever a Cleveland Indian pitcher winning two Cy Young Awards while wearing a Cleveland Indian uniform. Now, you can go back and say, well, hey, Bob Feller did it. No, Bob Feller did not do it. 
And the reason Bob Feller didn't do it is because he pitched in a time where they didn't have the Cy Young Award. They didn't give it away. They started giving away the Cy Young Award back in the early 60s. So Bob Feller was never in contention for the Cy Young Award. Gaylord Perry won it once as an Indians pitcher. C.C. Uh, Sabathia won it once. He 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 did it. Clint, uh, Cliff Lee won the Cy Young Award once. And Corey Kluber has won it once. But there has been no Indians pitcher to wear the Indians uniform to win the Cy Young Award twice. So Corey Kluber may be inching himself toward uncharted territory here with the Cleveland Indians as far as maybe pitching himself into a Cy Young Award for the second time in four seasons. Let's hope that happens. But right now the Cleveland Indians are in the middle of trying to win the American League Eastern Division. And as I said, they are down to the Houston Astros by a score of 3-2 to two as they head into the sixth inning. The Indians made a very interesting trade early last week. And on the surface, you kind of wondered, just what are the Indians thinking? Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at what the Indians were thinking when they went out and got Coco Crisp and what their plans are for him during the playoffs. We'll do that right after this timeout. Jim Lachey, Ohio State football All-American and NFL Super Bowl champion on a cheap. Hi, I'm Jim Lachey. Studies show that students who play school sports tend to have better attendance records, higher grade point average, fewer discipline problems, and are more likely to pursue a college education. High school sports also teaches leadership, character, and provide the foundation for becoming a good citizen. Let's respect the game, and remember to always keep the student first and student-athlete. This message brought to you by the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Dave Mitchell back here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this Monday night, Labor Day weekend. I hope you had an enjoyable weekend and an enjoyable Labor Day. hope you got out. Is this really this day signifies the end of summer. Just like Memorial Day normally signifies the beginning of summer, Labor Day signifies the end of summer. And, well, as we do this, we also get into the last three weeks of the baseball season. And the Cleveland Indians, they are trying to get geared up for postseason play. The first time they would be in postseason play in three years. Remember the first year that Terry Francona took over the Indians' job back in 2013. Well, they made the one-game wild-card playoff and lost to the Tampa Bay Rays, who were then managed by current Cubs manager Joe Madden. But the Indians right now, as you know, Terry Francona loves to platoon. Go lefty-righty. He loves to pinch hit. He loves to do it out of the bullpen. Everything. Well, with the situation between the Indians and Abraham Almonte, and if you didn't know this, Almonte, who has really been a key piece of the Indians' lineup over the past couple of months ever since he served his 82-game suspension for, from Major League Baseball for PED use, well, what a lot of people don't know is that Almonte is also not eligible for the postseason, there is a little-known rule that if you're suspended, you are not eligible 
for postseason play. Now, it seems to me a little bit unfair, and it seems to me like double jeopardy, actually, that Major League Baseball is pulling here on Almonte, and I would say that if it happened to anybody else. But the problem is is that the rule states that if you're suspended, you are not eligible for postseason play, which means that Almonte will not be on the Indians' postseason roster. So the Indians found themselves caught between a rock and a hard place. So what did they decide to do? They went out and pulled off a deal prior to the waiver trade deadline last week on August 31st. You had to complete a trade before 4 o'clock on August 31st, which was last Wednesday. Well, the Indians did that when they reacquired outfielder Coco Crisp from the Oakland A's for a minor leaguer and cash considerations. Now, on the surface, that deal didn't seem like it meant much. Coco Crisp is a 36-year-old outfielder. Of course, he has already played with the Indians. Matter of fact, he played with the Indians when Grady Sizemore was on the team. And then later on down the road, he was traded to the Boston Red Sox, and that is where he originally got to play with Terry Francona as manager when Francona was with the Red Sox. But for the last five years, Crisp has spent playing with the Oakland Athletics. So Crisp actually had the right as a 10-5 and player, 10 years in Major League Baseball, five years with the same team, to void any trade. He could have stayed with the A's. But immediately... Once they were talking deal, Francona and Chris Antonetti called Coco Crisp. They got permission from the A's to call him. And Crisp was excited about joining the Indians. Now, what Crisp is going to do is basically take over the Almonte spot on the roster. But he's a better defensive outfielder. And in many ways, he is better at the plate than Almonte is. Now, Certainly, Almonte is a good hitter. He's a decent outfielder. Not great, but a decent outfielder. But Crisp can play all three outfield positions. He can be the DH. He can lead off, or he can hit low in the batting order, like he's doing tonight. He's playing center field, and he's hitting low in the batting order. And that is a big, big advantage for the Indians. Plus, he's a switch hitter. He's a better left-handed hitter than he is a right-handed hitter. And so far, Crisp has really paid dividends to the Indians. He had three hits on Saturday night. Tonight's his second start. He's three for six at the plate. But Crisp has actually scored four runs in two games. So he has really, really come through for the Indians in a big way and in an important way for the Indians. Hopefully he'll continue to do that throughout the playoffs as they will lose Almonte and Crisp will be the player that will actually take Almonte's spot in the batting order. Well, after this, the Indians are playing three more games after tonight with Houston. They've got the games tonight, then tomorrow, Wednesday, and they've got a noon businessman special on Thursday, which I'll be going to that game and should be a very entertaining ball game on Thursday afternoon. 
Then the Indians are going to be going on the road. They've only got one more homestand coming up this year, and that will be coming up in two weeks. But after this Houston setup, well, then the Indians are going to be on the road for their final 22 games of the year. They will be playing 14 of their final 22 on the road, and that includes their last seven on the year. Now, taking a look at their schedule after Thursday, this weekend the Indians will be going to Minnesota. They always seem to have problems with the Twins, especially in Minnesota. And they've got three games with the Twins on Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday afternoon. And then they go to Chicago to play the White Sox. Now, that will be next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Now, those first three games will be at night in Chicago. And then on the 15th of September, they will be playing an afternoon game, which is next Thursday. That will be at 2.10 Eastern time. Then the Indians come home for the last time this year, except for the playoffs. And they have got a big homestand, which will include nine games that's their last homestand, a nine-game homestand. They'll play the 16th, 17th, and 18th of September against Detroit. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then they've got Monday the 19th off, and that's their last day off during the regular season. And then they invite the Kansas City Royals to town on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. And then after that, they have the Chicago White Sox in town for the weekend, the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And then they go on the road. And you talk about walking into a buzzsaw for the last seven games of the year. The Indians on the 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th, they've got a four-game set in Detroit. Now, they've played well against the Tigers this year. They are 11-1 and against Detroit. Matter of fact, the Indians are the only team that Detroit can't seem to beat this year. But that's going to be a very, very important series. So the Indians have seven games left with the Tigers over the next month. And then Kansas City will bring in the Indians, and that will be the final weekend of the regular season, September the 30th, and then October 1st and October 2nd. That's a three-game set in which the Indians will be playing at Kansas City against the world champion Royals. Now, the one thing you can hope is that the Indians have got the division clinched by that point in time, and it really won't matter what they do in Kansas City, and we'll see if that is indeed what happens going into that series. Well, the Cincinnati Reds, they played this afternoon, and they were hoodwinked by Bartolo Colon and the New York Mets. And we will take a look at that, plus more, when we return on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show right after this timeout. College football's only two-time Heisman Trophy winner, Ohio State's Archie Griffin, on educational athletics. High school sports are about so much more than wins and losses. Interscholastic athletics are an extension of the classroom and teach life lessons that truly completes a young person's education. Interscholastic athletics help give young men and women the tools they need to be successful in the biggest game of all, the game of life. A message from the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Well, don't forget, coming up this Friday night on UltimateSportsTalk.com, we have got high school football action for you, and that will be at 
where the Waynedale Golden Bears will come home for the first time this season, and they'll take on the Triway Titans. The Titans are 2-0 and on the year, Waynedale 0-2, but like I said, it's the first home game of the year for the Waynedale Golden Bears. Tim Ebert and I will be on the air with the pregame show at 6.30. The kickoff will be at 7, and you can join us before that at 6 o'clock for Golden Bear Rewind. That is the first quarter of last week's loss against the Ridgewood Generals. We will kick that off at 6 o'clock. That's all coming up this Friday night on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Well, the Reds this afternoon took on the New York Mets, and it was a very entertaining game. It was a successful game, actually, for Robert Stevenson. Stevenson pitched extremely well, but the Reds ended up losing the game 5 to nothing. And just in case you missed it, this was the first game back for the Reds' former right fielder, and who was traded to the the Mets during the uh, trading deadline. That would be Jay Bruce. And Bruce struck out twice today. He was 0 for 4, but he got a great ovation from the Cincinnati Reds fans earlier today during this loss to the New York Mets. Final line score this afternoon for New York. They had five runs on ten hits, no errors. Cincinnati had no runs on eight hits. And no errors, but the problem was, was that the Reds just could not get anything going against Bartolo Colon. He just continues to pitch and pitch, and he just pitches the heck out of the baseball. 42 years old this year for the Mets, 13 and 7 with the victory here this afternoon. But Robert Stevenson, even though they lost today, you know, Mark and I talked about Robert Stevenson last week. And it was an interesting conversation because his manager down at Louisville, Delano DeShields, had some very uncomplimentary things to say about Robert Stevenson, saying that he wasn't taking a professional attitude, that he should be embarrassed by his record down in the minor leagues. And Mark agreed with that. And I really don't have anything to say that Mark was wrong except for when Stevenson has come up and pitched at the major league level, he's done a good job. Let's take a look at the stats. Today was his third big league start and his first since April. He gave up two earned runs today and six hits over five and a third innings. And he struck out nine. And also of importance, he walked only one batter and that didn't occur until the sixth inning. And that is when Brian Price decided to pull Stevenson out of the game. In his major league starts, the three times that he has started, Stevenson is 2-1 and one with a 3.12 ERA. He's given up six earned runs in those three starts, 15 hits, 13 strikeouts. He's walked five and allowed over 17 and a third innings, those five walks, and struck out 13. Now, here's the problem. While at Louisville, the 23-year-old right-hander was 8-9 and nine on the season. He had a 4.41 ERA. He gave up 115 hits, 71 walks, 120 strikeouts, over 
136 and two-thirds innings in those 24 starts. That is what led Delino DeShields to go on his rant about Robert Stevenson at the middle of August. Now, certainly DeShields was right in his assessment of the right-hander. But my point last week when Mark and I discussed Robert Stevenson was the fact that you know, you can't just look at his minor league level. When he comes to the majors, Stevenson seems to put on a different attitude, has a different type of focus, and he throws the ball extremely well. And there are some guys that do that. But unfortunately, there are also times at the major league level that they don't just look at the way that you pitch. They look at the way that you win. And if it isn't the way they think you should win by, then you get labeled with an attitude problem. Now, Mark is correct. Robert Stevenson is the type of guy that is expected to be dominant. That has been the rumor about him during the last three years. The Reds have waited for him to put it all together. But the fact is is that when he gets to the major league level, he does pitch well. And he may lose focus at the minor league level. My point is is that maybe when he gets to the minor league level, he just thinks, well, what else do I have to do to prove that I can pitch at the major league level when I've done such a fine job? I'm 2-1 and one with a 3.12 ERA and six earned runs. And quite honestly, that is practically better than anybody else that the Reds have had in the starting rotation this year. And that includes Dan Straley. Dan Straley has pitched outstanding baseball for the Reds this year. But Robert Stevenson, when he has come up to pitch for the Reds, has done outstanding also. You can't complain with 13 strikeouts and 5 walks over 17 and a third innings. You can't complain with a 3.12 ERA in 3 starts. You can't complain with the fact that he's given up just 6 earned runs over those three starts. Now, granted, he will get the opportunity to probably pick up another three, at least, maybe four starts before the end of the regular season. And then they'll see what Stevenson will be made of during those last three or four starts. But I'm here to say, if Stevenson pitches as well in those three or four starts as he has in his previous three, you have got to take him into training camp, his spring training camp next year, and make him one of the five-man rotation. Now, certainly if Homer Bailey comes back, he's going to be one of the five. You've also got Dan Straley. You've got Michael Lorenzen. The question mark is, are they going to put him in the bullpen, or are they going to put him in the starting rotation? Lorenzen's got an arm for either one. And you've got Sclafani. Sclafani has been outstanding this year. Then you've got the bullpen. Singrani has seemed to solidify the closer role now for the Reds. And then you've got Rossiel Iglesias, who has moved into the bullpen. He's done an outstanding job. So Brian Price, even though he has not been re-signed to manage this team next year, he has got to be considered to be a legitimate candidate to come back next year because he has done an outstanding job with this Reds team over the last two months 
of the regular season. Right now, the Reds are 57 and 78 after today's loss. They are two and four. They're in last place. They're 30 and a half games out of first place and they're a game and a half behind Milwaukee. But have they lost Billy Hamilton? We'll talk more about that right after this. Hi, I'm Clark Kellogg. Have you ever thought about what makes high school sports so great? High school sports are great because of our coaches who not only teach the game, but also teach lifelong skills like hard work, teamwork, sportsmanship, and citizenship. High school sports are great because they keep things in the proper perspective. It's great to strive to be the best and to try to win, but high school sports also strive to develop the best students, the best teammates, and the best leaders of tomorrow. High school sports are great because they are truly about community, bringing students, parents, and alumni together the way only a sporting event can. The privilege of participating in high school sports is one of the most exciting experiences of a young person's life. So show your support because high school sports are great. This message presented by the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Dave Mitchell back on tonight's Ohio We had to have you along this evening on this evening. Mark Donahue is tied up with other things and maker this evening on the show, but glad to have you along here tonight as we talk about the Indian Reds. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was, before we get into Jay Bruce a little bit more here this evening on the show, was the Billy Hamilton injury. Yesterday, he was swinging and missing at a pitch and pulled a muscle in his oblique. Well, you know, I have to agree with Chris Welsh on the Reds broadcast from yesterday that up until 10 years ago, nobody knew what an oblique injury was. Now it seems to be one of the most common injuries in Major League Baseball. And yesterday, Hamilton, who is slowly going through and quietly going through one of the finest seasons that he has had at the Major League level, since he has come to the Reds and become their actual everyday center fielder. He came into this season with the idea that he was just going to be playing in center field and was also going to be the number eight hitter in the lineup for the Reds. But now what you have seen happen is that Hamilton has got 58 stolen bases on the year. He's hitting over 260. He's playing outstanding defense. He's a Golden Glove defender for the Cincinnati Reds this year. But yesterday, he basically had to be pried out of the lineup. Matter of fact, when he swung and missed, the trainer for the Reds and Brian Price came out and wanted to take him out of the ballgame immediately. And Zach Cozart was in the on-deck circle, and Joey Votto was in the hole, so they say. He was the third up that inning. And the thing about it was was that Billy Hamilton did not want to come out of the ballgame. He wanted to stay in. And Zach Cozart was hauled over to the dugout by Joey Votto. Votto told him, he said, just let him know that if he doesn't come out of this ballgame right now, he may be out for the rest of the year, which the previous two years, remember, Billy Hamilton 
when he has left the ball game, he has been out for the rest of the year. He hasn't finished the major league season the last two years. Well, Joey Votto reminded him of that through Zach Cozart, and Billy Hamilton decided that, well, maybe it is a better idea. Maybe I should just go ahead and leave this ball game and get myself healed up so that I'm not out for the remaining three weeks of the Major League Baseball season. So he did. So Joey Votto has really, is really turning out lately to become the type of leader that this team needs. The Reds have really relied on him. And Billy Hamilton has started listening to him. He has become a mentor to Billy Hamilton throughout the year. And Billy Hamilton seems to be responding to that. And that's a good thing for the Reds. Now, can the Reds keep Joey Votto on the team for next year? We'll have to wait throughout winter and find out whether or not that could happen. There is an article that has hit the Internet about Jay Bruce, and it came out after this afternoon's game with the Mets. As you recall, I brought it up just a little bit ago that this was the first time that Jay Bruce has come back to Cincinnati since being traded just a day before the trade deadline to the New York Mets. Uh, The Mets needed a left-handed power-hitting right fielder. They got it in Jay Bruce. And, of course, he's got a contract that will continue through the regular season next year, so he'll be back with the Mets next season. But supposedly, according to Michelle Ianu, who writes for Fanside via the Rising Apple in New York, she was told by Jay Bruce that he supposedly said to the Cincinnati Reds, please trade me anywhere but New York. And what did the Reds do? They traded him to the Mets. Now, he could have been talking about the Yankees, or he could have been talking about both teams. Nobody seems to really know, and Bruce doesn't really want to talk about it. But this is what supposedly came out. Now, basically, Hal McCoy of the Dayton Daily News mentioned that before he was traded, that Bruce asked the Reds to trade him anywhere but New York. Well, the Mets inquired about Bruce at the end of July. Bruce was then sent to the Mets for Dilson Herrera and Max Wotel. So Bruce, right now, is not getting a very good response by the Mets fans because it has been very uneventful, according to Ianu, and lackluster. Bruce, in 111 plate appearances with the Mets entering Sunday night's game, he was hitting just 198 with New York, three homers, eight RBIs. He had four doubles and 20 hits so far, and he just hasn't gotten his offense going yet. And that is totally unlike what he was doing in Cincinnati. He finally seemed healthy in Cincinnati, and he was ready to go with the Reds and was anxious to stay with Cincinnati. But unfortunately, that just was not going to happen as the Reds were interested in in letting him go. Now, of course, he was rumored to be going to Toronto during the winter. 
There was also a lot of rumors that maybe he was coming to Cleveland, but he ended up going to New York because the Mets needed another bat to tie him up with Orlando Cespedes and try to get back into this pennant race, but unfortunately that just not has happened, is what has happened for the New York Mets. So Jay Bruce apparently not very happy with being in New York, according to Michelle Ianu of Fansided on the Internet. And like I said, that's an article that just came out just a little bit ago. She's with Fansided via Rising Apple, and that just came out after the Reds game today with the New York Mets at Great American Ballpark. While we've got a second, let's take a look at the standings so far in Major League Baseball, and we'll also take a look at the wild card standings. The Indians, like I said, they're 79 and 56. They're five games ahead of Detroit and nine games ahead of Kansas City. In the American League East, boy, there's a dogfight going on there between Toronto, Boston, and Baltimore. Toronto leads it right now by a game over the Red Sox and by two games over Baltimore. But the stories are surrounding the Orioles that their pitching staff is basically shot. Their starting staff is ready to just fall off the deep end. So I would not anticipate Baltimore being able to recuperate their pitching staff fast enough in order to catch up with Toronto or Boston, even though they are just two games out. And over in the American League West, Texas has got the best record in the American League with that 82-56 and 56 mark. They're nine games up on the Astros, and they pretty much have the American League West wrapped up. Now, in the National League, Washington is leading the New York Mets by eight and a half over in the National League East. In the Central, the Cubs have got everything wrapped up. Matter of fact, their magic number is down to ten over the Cardinals. The Cubs have a record of 89 and 48. They are 41 games above 500. They're 16 and a half games up on the Cardinals and 21 over Pittsburgh. And in the National League West, boy, the Dodgers are just hot. And San Francisco has fallen off the deep end since the All-Star break. The Dodgers now have a three and a half game lead over the San Francisco Giants. The Giants were shut out today by Colorado, six to nothing. The Dodgers are 76 and 63 and a half games up on the San Francisco Giants. So it is quite a dogfight out there. Now, in the wild card situation, back over in the American League, it's Boston, the leading team in the wild card situation with Baltimore and Detroit. Both tied up at 75 and 62 for that second wild card spot. Then you've got Houston, who still leads over the Indians tonight, three to two, in the top of the seventh with one out, and they are two and a half games out of the wild card. And the New York Yankees are three and a half out. Kansas City still with something to play for. They're only four games out of that last wild card spot, and Seattle is five games out of that last wild card spot. Now over in the National League. The two teams right now that are up for the wild card positions, San Francisco and St. Louis. San Francisco is a half a game ahead of St. Louis in the wild card. And then come the New York Mets. They are a game behind St. Louis for that final wild card spot. And Pittsburgh, they've been having their problems. 
They're just four and a half games out, and then Miami is five out. Colorado still got a shot. They are six and a half games out of that wild card position. Hey, we're going to come back and talk about today in baseball history, this time on the Cincinnati Reds, and we're going to talk about Matt Shoemaker of the Los Angeles Angels. We'll hit the schedule for Major League Baseball, the Reds and the Indians over the next couple of weeks. We'll do that when we return and wrap things up on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show right after this timeout. Jim Lachey, Ohio State football All-American and NFL Super Bowl champion on Achieve. Hi, I'm Jim Lachey. Studies show that students who play school sports tend to have better attendance records, higher grade point average, fewer discipline problems, and are more likely to pursue a college education. High school sports also teaches leadership, character, and provide the foundation for becoming a good citizen. Let's respect the game, and remember to always keep the student first and student-athlete. This message brought to you by the Ohio High School Athletic Association. College football's only two-time Heisman Trophy winner, Ohio State's Archie Griffin, on educational athletics. High school sports are about so much more than wins and losses. Interscholastic athletics are an extension of the classroom and teach life lessons that truly completes a young person's education. Interscholastic athletics help give young men and women the tools they need to be successful in the biggest game of all, the game of life. A message from the Ohio High School Athletic Association. I'm Dave Mitchell with tonight's show here on Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark Donahue unable to join us here this evening, but as we continue to trek on here tonight, I want to talk about the injury from Matt Shoemaker, the Los Angeles Angels right-handed pitcher. He was hit by a line drive Saturday night, and he underwent emergency surgery on Saturday night. The doctors say that he is doing just fine. And he is going to be able to come back. So good news there. But, you know, Major League Baseball, Mark has been advocating this for quite a while now. They are going to have to look into doing something with pitchers on the mound, whether it be a mask or whatever, because especially over the last couple of weeks, boy, the Indian pitchers lately have just been hit, had the ball hit at them. I mean, I'm sure most of you saw on ESPN over the last week the play that Zach McAllister made where the ball hit him in the calf. It was a line drive right back at him, hit him in the calf. He kicked it up in the air and caught it. And since it hadn't touched the ground, of course, it was an out. So the Indians benefited from that. But still, I've seen Dan Otero get line drives hit right back to him Brian Shaw and that's just the Indians a lot of pitchers lately have line drives being hit right back at them now next week what we're going to do and I'm probably going to post something on Facebook in regards to this Mark and I were going to talk about this this evening Mo Egger down in Cincinnati who's one of the finest radio talk show hosts I think not only in Cincinnati by far but probably nationwide, was asking a question last week, and our producer Greg Mitchell heard this, about who the best player is in Cincinnati Reds history. Now, I know who Mark's answer is going to be. I know who my answer is. But we developed that into who's the best player ever in Cleveland Indians history. Well, I'm going to hold off our picks until next week. But then Greg Mitchell came up with a good question. And that question was, 
who was the biggest bust in Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds history. So Mark and I, I've got about four or five people in mind as to who the biggest bust is with the Cleveland Indians. And I'm sure Mark has got some ideas as far as who the biggest bust is for the Cincinnati Reds. So we're going to talk about that next week. And I invite your ideas also. Just send me an email to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. That's dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Or you could tweet your answers to me. And that would be at OHBB co-host. So that's the two ways that you can actually send send in your choices. Now, I have received a couple of emails and a couple of messages on Facebook so far. So uh, we're taking those names into consideration. And I'm sure our favorite listener, Linda Jordan, will be sending us her ideas also. Right now, Houston is leading the Cleveland Indians. They have scored a run in the top of the seventh, and right now they lead the Indians by a score of four to two here tonight. This gives us an opportunity to take a look at what's going on with the red schedule throughout the rest of the baseball season, and it really is basically... They're going to go on a long road trip towards the end of the year. Right now, they are at home for a three-game set. Well, actually, just another two games tomorrow and Wednesday, a 12:35 game against the New York Mets. And then the Reds will go on a short four-game road trip. They'll be playing at Pittsburgh on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against the Pirates. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, those games are at night. And then the Sunday game will be in the afternoon. Then the Reds come home for a a six-game homestand, and this will be their second-to-last homestand of the season. They will entertain Milwaukee next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. They've got next Thursday off. And then they've got a four-game set with Pittsburgh in three days, the 16th, 17th, and 18th. They'll play a doubleheader with Pittsburgh. That's a day-night doubleheader next Saturday, uh, and that will be at home at Great American Ballpark. Then the Reds will go on a long road trip. They will have a 10-game road trip that they will be going on, and that will round out their games away from home during the regular season. They've got three games at Chicago on the 19th, 20th, and 21st. All those games will be at night at Wrigley Field. Then they've got another Thursday afternoon off. That is the 22nd. And then on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, they are at Milwaukee. And those games will be in the afternoon, except for the Sunday afternoon game, which will be at 2:10. And then they go to St. Louis for their last road series of the season, the 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th. And those games, those four games will be held at St. Louis. And that will be at uh, 8:15. And then the 29th on that Thursday night, that will be an earlier game because that's getaway day. Now, next year, Major League Baseball is going to be Probably changing things with the new CBA on getaway days, uh, such as this last game with St. Louis. Those games are always going to be held in the afternoon. And then the Reds will round out the regular season with a three-game set against the Chicago Cubs, and those games will be at home on Friday, September the 30th, then October 1st, and October 2nd against the Cubs. 
the first and the second will be held in the afternoon, and that will round out the regular season for the Reds at Great American Ballpark. Well, the Indians, their defense is not doing very well tonight. Jason Kipnis has picked up a couple of errors, and Houston has scored another two runs in the seventh inning. They now lead it 5-2 to two over the Indians in the top half of the seventh inning with two outs and runners at first and third. So as we always do, when Mark is around, I always ask him, what happened on this day in baseball, in Reds history? Well, I'll give you the answer tonight. On this day in baseball history, Reds baseball history, this happened in 1971. Hard to believe this could happen, but it did. Woody Woodward was almost hit by a 10-pound sack of flour, which drops from an airplane passing over Dodger Stadium. The sack hit the ground just 15 feet from Woodward at his shortstop position. Now, luckily, he was, Davy Concepcion was taking the day off, but Woody Woodward was lucky that that 10-pound sack of flour did not hit him. I mean, those, those sacks of flour that you get at the store sometimes are just a pound or five pounds. You imagine a 10-pound sack of flour falling out of an airplane? I mean, that's something else, especially at Dodger Stadium. And you just imagine that thing just hitting 15 feet to the left or right of you and just exploding. Man, they'd have to come back out and probably fix the field. And and uh, I wonder if Mark ever remembers that. I'll have to ask him about that next week. But that's going to do it. And don't forget, coming up next week, we'll be giving you our best players in Reds and Indians history and our biggest busts in Reds and Indians history. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget that the Indians, they've got three more games set with Houston tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. And then they go to Minnesota this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Reds this week, they've got the Mets tomorrow and Wednesday afternoon. And then they go to Pittsburgh this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon to take on the Pirates. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing this evening's show. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. Mark will be back next week as he is was off tonight. He was unde, un, uh, just undetainable. Let's put it that way. He was unable to be here tonight. He was detained elsewhere. But he'll be back next week. And we will be back also next week with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show at 9 o'clock. Don't forget, coming up this Friday night, it is base, uh, football action for you here on UltimateSportsTalk.com as the Waynedale Golden Bears will be taking on the Triway Titans in that backyard feud. Game time is at 7 o'clock. Tim Ebert and I will be on with the play-by-play at 6.30. Golden Bear Rewind begins at 6 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark and I will be back again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That will do it for us tonight. Thanks a lot for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a great week, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter. The barber and the nuke They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially with
Mickey and the Duke. 